Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast. It's Friday, February 21st, and I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. We're a day away from the college basketball game of the year, Kansas at Baylor. And KU beat writer Jesse Newell sat down with me to talk about the matchup between the top-ranked Bears and third-ranked Jayhawks. Jesse loves the analytical side of the game, and we talk about we talk about the game from that and other perspectives. After a break, Jesse surprised me with an observation about where he believes KU season changed for the better. Full disclosure, the conversation was recorded on Wednesday, and you might hear some ambient noise. We'll tell you right off the bat where we recorded. Here we go with Jesse and me. Jesse, where would you rather be to talk about the college basketball game of the year than the McDonald's in DeSoto, Kansas? Nowhere, Blair, because I don't know what McDonald's does. Um, they infuse their pops with some sort of, I don't know, it's, it's something that makes you just immediately buzz. So um, I'm happy. I've got <laughs> so the Diet Dr. Go. Pepper in front of me. I'm ready to go. That's what I'm drinking, too. And you're right. I'm, I'm a little, little little pep in my step exactly. after, <laughs> after having some of this Diet Dr. If you Pepper. ever have to ride a story, I'm telling you, McDonald's is the place to go. It'll, it'll get you It'll get you going. <laughs> I got to tell you, this. Uh, when I was covering Kansas as a beat guy back in the 90s, early 90s, and driving back and forth between Lawrence and Overland Park, this was the only light for the 30-mile <laughs> the stretch. There was nothing else on K-10 besides this McDonald's, so I've always appreciated uh, this, uh, this fast food joint being here. Biggest game of the college basketball season on Saturday, and you know, I was trying to think of when was the last time there has been a game like this involving uh, KU, and I think i got to go back to 2016 for that season when Buddy, Buddy Heald was playing for Oklahoma, and the, it was a 1-2 game, maybe both times they played, but certainly the game in Allen Fieldhouse when I mean, Oklahoma was one in one poll and KU was one in the other and Oklahoma was the top and second team in the others. But a one versus a three doesn't happen that often. And it's not just a one versus three. It's a one versus three with, you know, some ramifications. Certainly the Big 12 championship uh, and uh, and some maybe some seeding in the NCAA tournament, although I kind of think both teams are locked into a number one right now. But um, you got to be looking forward to seeing a game of this magnitude. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny for Kansas. They've had lots of these. You know, this has been one of those years where, okay, they start with the Champions Classic in Duke. They have one of the best games of the year, just in terms of entertainment value, in Maui. The Maui Championship's always pumped up, and then KU Dayton. And we didn't know at the time how good Dayton was going to be, and obviously they're in line for at least probably a two-seed in the NCAA tournament right now. But uh, and, and now you go on to, hey, KU had a great game against at West Virginia. That was one of the Bill Selsnow's memorable ones. And then this one, obviously, um, yeah. Uh, Baylor breaking the Big 12 record of, of KU's for consecutive wins in a season uh, last night going up against Oklahoma. And so, yeah, these two schools, these two programs, probably right now um, most people would consider the two best teams in college basketball. Having them meet in the rematch in Waco, yeah, you really can't ask for anything more than that. And it is amazing how Kansas has been involved with so many big games this season. You know, I, I don't know if there's another sports writer who spends as much time diving into the analytics as much as you do. So where do where do Kansas and Baylor rank nationally? Not only do you, you use a lot of your analytical study to vote in the uh, in the AP top twenty five. Um, where where do you have Kansas and Baylor? Where'd you have them uh, going into this week? Yeah, I've had them uh, KU one and Baylor three for uh, four or five straight weeks now, and 
If you look at the overall numbers with that, almost across the board, if we look at predictive rankings, which those are the ones that take into account every single possession that you play and the schedule, um, you know, schedule adjusted numbers, uh, giving you extra credit if you beat teams by a lot of points and maybe some extra credit if you don't lose by as much as certain teams, kind of going on a deeper dive than wins and losses. KU's number one almost across the board in these rankings. Ken Palm, Bart Torvik, uh, team rankings, BPI, those sorts of rankings out there. KU's really good. Baylor's been hovering in the two to five sort of range in most of those metrics. And uh, the biggest reason for that is a lot of these games in the Big 12, they've just played them a little bit closer than Kansas has. If you think back like the Oklahoma State games that they played, both of those were way more competitive than you would expect it from a team that maybe is considered by most to be the number one team in the nation. But we're not talking about huge swings here. We're talking about a couple points here and there. So that's why I expect here in this game, KU probably will be a one or two point underdog. And if we know kind of what we know about college basketball, which is home court advantage gives you three to four points, that would tell you that on a neutral court, we'd probably expect Kansas to be the favorite team and they probably would be favored against any other team in the nation based off what we know about these teams. Uh, but it also makes it a great matchup because now instead of, I think in the first game, KU at, or Baylor at KU, KU was a seven point favorite and, and lost that game. Now you kind of swing those numbers the other way and all of a sudden this game becomes more competitive just because of where it's being played. You know, you're right about the, the margins of victory for, for KU and Baylor. Kansas leads the Big 12 in margin of victory and Baylor's right behind them. They're one and two or one and three in a lot of the stats in the Big 12, but in terms of margin of victory, but what impresses me so much, there's so many things that impress me about Baylor, but one of the things is, uh, yeah, they, they play in Oklahoma State. Uh, the Cowboys played them a little tougher than you might expect. Iowa State does the same thing. But boy, when they got West Virginia uh, last week, they just ran away from West Virginia in Waco. And then the game you mentioned earlier this week against Oklahoma, I kind of had a feeling after seeing the Sooners play at KU on Saturday that Sooners might, uh, you know, that, that might be where Baylor get caught in a little bit of a look ahead, perhaps. But early in the second half, they they hit the accelerator and just took off. And Baylor was, or I'm sorry, Oklahoma was almost helpless offensively in that game. So that brings me to the point I want to make that at least in, in terms of how these teams operate, there's a lot of similarities here statistically. They are one and two in the Big 12 in, in, um, in, in, in scoring defense, and nationally they both have to be in the top 10, I would think. So it, does this guarantee it's going to be a low-scoring game? Uh, it doesn't guarantee it, but I think if you look at both these teams, yeah, they, they hang their hat defensively. They do things right defensively. And what's kind of fascinating to me is I think both of them need to send part of their bonus checks at the end of the year to uh, Chris Beard down there at Texas Tech because it's almost like he showed them the way, and by making the national championship, it gave coaches like Scott Drew and Bill Self a little bit more confidence to go and do this no-middle defense, which uh, you know Bill Self talked to me earlier in the year. He'd never done it before this year. He'd never taught his team to do it and then you know you watch Texas Tech now you go that's kind of smart to do it that way and so Kansas now uh, the number one overall defense and part of the reason for that is because they've changed schematically and done things like Texas Tech does Baylor the same way they're keeping things out of the middle and both teams great on the perimeter just being able to cut off driving angles being able to stay in front of your man being able to challenge those shots doing a little bit different way you know Baylor likes to take a few more charges they kind of like the position defense obviously Bill Self uh, is not a charge guy not since his college days when he did take charges <laughs> based off the video that we've seen. Um, but a lot of similarities, like you said, defensively. Gillespie in the back for Baylor, the rim protector. Yudoka Azabuki in the back, rim protector for Kansas. Yudoka a little bit better in that regard. But, yeah, these two teams, I think 
it'll be very fascinating because obviously Bilsoff gets some time here from Tuesday to Saturday to sort of game plan and scheme and to see what didn't work in the first matchup and how they want to attack Baylor in this second matchup. And the other thing we have to bring up is that Devon Dotson was hurt in that game. And so Kansas was not completely at full strength. I don't think it would have made the difference in a 12-point game, but uh, we do have to at least bring that up that Kansas was uh, not playing with every available body that it has like it does right now. And coming into this game, I guess knock on wood for Kansas, they are pretty healthy. They are. Um, and you're right about Dodson. He he ended up with I think 28 minutes played in the in the first game. We'll we'll talk more about that first game here in a minute. I you know in watching that Oklahoma Baylor game earlier in the week, Oklahoma's a pretty good offensive team. They were held to 54 points on their home floor by Baylor. It's as it if when Baylor decided to turn up the defense. It was, you know, it was allowed to do that, or it, 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 Oklahoma allowed it to happen. Baylor, the, the Scott Drew teams that we've seen over the years have been largely more of a Jim Beheim zone team, not not so much anymore. I think he, Scott Drew, realized, uh, in addition to stealing maybe a little bit from Texas Tech, that he has experienced athletes on his team that are better than the other guys athletes on on his team and i've always thought this for years about baylor you know through the you know the perry jones the isaiah austin years and all these rico gathers i've always thought baylor baylor always had really good athletes why are you playing zone you could out athlete the opponent um, but for whatever reason, Scott Drew was enamored with We don't see that anymore. We just don't. He has got some good, good players. No, and if you go down the line here, I mean, you might mention the similarities between these teams, and it really is true where um, the, the guards that they play are switchable and quick and cut-off driving angles. And not only that, I mean, I know Marcus Scare gets a lot of love for not only Big 12 Player of the Year and National uh, Defensive, uh, not, not Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, both Big 12 and Nationally, but Mark Vidal is sort of like his little doppelganger in there. It's the same thing. He can switch off guys. He's 6'5". He can handle a big man. He can handle a small guy. So there's a lot of similarities between these two teams. I think the difference, um, the big difference I would say here between how those two teams play defensively is Baylor really gets after you. They want to force steals. They want to get turnovers. They get in the passing lanes. Bill Self historically has been more of a position guy. Like, I don't want to give up easy baskets. I want to be sure to protect uh, in, a, in a certain way to make sure you don't get those shots. So um, that's what makes Baylor dangerous is that they can go kind of cold for a stretch and we saw this like KU did against TCU where you go cold offensively for a stretch but then if you get a couple steals and runouts, all of a sudden you're back up 10 again and it's a really quick um, turnaround that, that Baylor can make there and not only that I mean I can talk about how they haven't maybe won games extending the lead as much but my goodness it feels like Jared Butler makes every three-pointer in the last three minutes I don't know if you watched games enough of them or and again maybe my sample size is limited as well but it seems like when Baylor needs a three they make their threes and, and that happened against Oklahoma last night and they sure seem to have whatever that is I don't know if it can continue the whole season but when they need a basket down the stretch they seem to fight and it, it happened against KU in the field house earlier this, earlier this year they were eight for 19 on threes in, in that game um, Butler is terrific and uh, and Maceo Teague who hasn't played the previous two games who I expect to play Saturday I, I think has, has had a terrific season He's one of eight players who have redshirted for this Baylor team. What a what a concept. Um, th- when we talk about being an older team, an experienced team, part of that is because 
players, more than half of his roster, Scott Drew's roster, has taken a redshirt year, and some because they transferred. You, you do you have to sit out a year as a transfer, but others who enrolled in Baylor decided to sit. I mean, they were told up front in the recruiting that if you come here, you're going to sit out a year, which which is a, a kind of a, get a, a roundabout way of saying Baylor's doing this without a lot of top 50 type of guys. You know, it's just that's just the the way this team is constructed. It's a terrific chemistry team. Um, it's they, you you could just tell it looks like they've been together forever. It's not the case, even though they're experienced guys have come from different schools. But I don't know when I see Baylor play, I, I just see a team that um, a bunch of you know twenty two year old young men that can you know that can ball. I, I mean, a lot of things have to come together for this player. I mean, even we talk about Freddie Gillespie. Who is this Division Three player who didn't play, and, and now all of a sudden is this revelation in the Big 12 who can block shots and is has a great face-up game, can make 10 to 12 footers. I mean, uh, we can talk a lot about hey what those guards do on the outside, but it's sort of like Kansas. It's like your guards are only as good gambling as the big man that's behind them to protect them. And um, unfortunately for Baylor, and this is crazy to think about, just talking about how everything's gone right for them this year and they're number one ranked in the AP poll, you know, Tristan Clark's kind of a, a shade of his former self. And you would have figured coming this year, oh my gosh, Tristan Clark coming back, this is going to be a great reason that, that this Baylor team's going to be improved. It really hasn't happened because Gillespie has emerged and Clark hasn't, and, and it really hasn't mattered for them. They've still played uh, really great basketball. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. And I, I also... Listen, I, I, I picked. I know this shocks people. I picked Baylor to win the game against Kansas in Outfield House. I picked it in the quick scout. People were calling me crazy, and then obviously Baylor won the game. And then I didn't rank Baylor number one, and um, people, people think all sorts of things after that. I, I'm sure. But the fact of the matter is, I, I was. Even in that moment, very sick and tired of the narrative about Scott Drew not being able to coach. There were lots of X and O's things you could see he took from the NBA, very smart things that they did in the past, um, scheme-wise, that were able to take advantage of his players. So I just didn't buy the narrative that he could never win an outfield house. All those sorts of things come to an end. You saw it with Andy Reid in the Super Bowl. I mean, if you give a guy enough chances, uh, good things are going to emerge and, and kind of come to the top here. And I think we have to give Scott Drew a lot of credit for this team, too, because it's one thing to have these pieces it's another thing for these pieces to fit together and come together the way they have. And all those guys seem to be utilized very well on the defensive uh, side of the ball. And then also offensively, they're doing some creative things as well. So I think Scott Drew deserves a lot of credit, and he'll probably get a lot of credit. He'll probably be National Coach of the Year. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. All right, we're back with uh, Jesse Newell talking KU Baylor at, I have to add, the DeSoto McDonald's. Quite, quite the place. So if, if you're listening to some ambient music in the background, um, you know, they've got it on, a, I think, a 90s track here. It sounds 90s music. 
Yeah, I, I'm confused because the whole parking lot is filled and I think we're one of two people in here. So <laughs> I just wonder where everybody is. I don't know. All right, I'm going to get some fries to go here in a little bit. So KU Baylor on Saturday, 11 a.m. That's That was interesting, wasn't it, to see a, kind of a national game of the year. ESPN game day is going to be there. Um, uh, it's CBS. Uh, is it CBS? No, it's ESPN televising game. CBS did the first game at Allen Fieldhouse. So no um, ESPN plus Big 12 now for this Woo. broadcast like we saw Thank goodness. With, with both the KU West Virginia and Baylor West Virginia games recently. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, Jesse, th- that speaking of the KU West Virginia game, that, that changed my opinion of Kansas for me. Going into Morgantown and playing the way they did over the final about six minutes or so to turn a, what was it, did it get to nine, the deficit yeah. in the second half, and to end up winning that game kind of going away. Um, so much so that Bob Huggins was, with 30 seconds to go, heading down to shake Bill Self's hand. Um, I, I just think maybe it was the, the, the play of Marcus Garrett in that game and just everybody really, but it changed the way I thought about KU. Yeah, I, I'm starting to as well, just because, I mean, not only has the defense been elite and been able to kind of carry them for big stretches, but uh, <laughs> this is going to be bad to say, Blair, but I mean, I guess I can say it. I'm a reporter. I'm a media <laughs> member. I can say what I want on this fine podcast here. I, I think the fight against K-State really helped Kansas, um, just to be completely honest with you, because it kind of helped Bill Self with a roster shuffle. It helped him move quicker to the four-guard lineup, which he was sort of kind of still grabbing onto the two bigs while starting David McCormick. David McCormick was suspended. He couldn't start him, so he had to start a fourth guard. KU started that way, played well that way, really didn't miss David McCormick very much in those two games, even though Yudoka was in foul trouble for a brief section of one of them uh, against Tennessee. But I think it just sort of shoved KU in the direction that they knew they were going to go eventually. But now they're starting to gain comfort with that sort of style. And they can move ahead with that sort of style. And there's no, like, thoughts of, well, maybe the too big thing is okay. Or maybe they need to find Sylvia Sosa minutes. Or maybe they need to make this guy happy. It's not that anymore. Everybody's sort of falling into their roles. And so now you see, like, even Dave McCormick, he's the backup center. I mean, he's lost some playing time when this thing uh, all shook out. But now you see him going in in the Iowa State game. He's two steps outside the three-point line. Ochai Baji tries a three. He hustles in, gets the rebound, saves it from going out of bounds. He knows he can just go kind of kamikaze in there because he's going to be playing 12 to 14 minutes. He needs to provide great energy for Kansas. And so you have that. You have them running more of their four-guard plays. You have Bill Self and staff finding more creative ways to get guys driving lanes and angles. Uh, You see Devon Dotson and Yudoka Azabuki being able to um, clear space inside more so than they have in the past. So um, it's weird to say, like, hey, this fight really helped Kansas. But I I think it really did help Kansas because it forced them in a direction they were probably going to get to anyway, but it made them do it sooner, and it also has now gotten them to a point where they're becoming more comfortable with it earlier in the season, and now can kind of tweak things instead of kind of reinventing themselves here over the last couple weeks. Well, I'm glad you said that on the podcast, but that's a terrific story as well to, to write, <laughs> and it's funny how, you know, you, you, when you think of fights having a benefit, it's usually in, in terms of a chemistry or bringing a team together. I don't know, maybe that was part of it, but but you're saying it was more of a X's and O's thing. That, that, that was the big... Uh, benefit from Yeah, and, and to be fair to Bill Self, um, I thought he was doing the right thing the whole time because I still think I think sometime in the tournament they're going to have to play the two big look. 
to, to get them out of a matchup problem. And it's good as a team to be kind of chameleon. It's good to be able to um, kind of be matchup proof, if you will, to have different ways that you can play different styles you can match up to. So I, I kind of liked KU being able to do that too big look just to kind of have it in the back pocket in case you need it. But we've just seen this team really take off. And, and it's kind of been in different games here, Blair, but I wonder if we're going to see a game where it all comes together. Because we saw two games for Kansas, TCU and Virginia, where the defense was just completely dominant in the last five minutes. I think those two teams combined score one point against Kansas in the last five minutes of both wow. of those games. Wow. And then the next two games, KU's offense, when they started you know, creating, shooting threes, having guys that were confident there, really took off against Oklahoma and Iowa State. The defense was okay, but like, if those two things ever come together, kind of in like the, the Venn diagram here, uh, you're going to see a Kansas team that we haven't seen so far this season, and I'm already already talking about statistically how they are the best team uh, in the in the country right now, at least based on the advanced measures that uh, I like to look at. So, yeah, for Kansas, it just seems like it, it kind of just it, it made them go away from the comfortable and made them go to the uncomfortable, even if it was a seven-man rotation for the game against Tennessee. But I think in the long run, it might have been the best thing to happen to the Jocks because now they've really hit a stride that they weren't hitting earlier in the season with what they were trying to do. This coming together, though, is uh – no better time than the present, but against a Baylor team at the Farrell Center might be a little much to ask to see on Saturday. Baylor's a tremendous defensive team, and uh, and as you said earlier, as we talked about, they seem to hit the, you know, they're, 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 like a lot of people in college basketball, they're probably not shooting threes as well as they have in the past. I, I think the international line has something to do with that, but they hit them when they count, it seems to me, and, uh, and they're not afraid to take them, for sure. So, um, uh, but, look, is Kansas going to have a more difficult game the rest of the season than playing a Final Four, maybe overall number one seed in the NCAA tournament on its home floor. Yeah, I don't think there can be, Blair. I mean, <laughs> maybe you could argue that KU played Duke at, yeah, you know, Cameron Indoor. Maybe some people would argue that, and others would say, no, you're facing the number one team in the country at their home gym. College game days there, you can't have much more hoopla than that. So, uh, yeah, this is obviously the toughest game for KU left and the, probably the toughest game they'll have left, even including the NCAA tournament. But, you know, I think there's reasons to like KU's chances here. I, I think that... For one, we talk about the extended time that KU has here. You have a few extra days to look into things, look into the previous matchup, figure out specific ways, specific plays that might work against Baylor's specific you know, defense that they're going to throw at you. And then Bill Self, historically over time, has been good in close games. And KU this year, if you look at it, this hasn't always been the case, obviously, but they've been better on the road than they have been at home. If you kind of go up and down uh, the lineup and – you know, Baylor should have the best atmosphere they've ever had down there. But, uh, you know, I still wouldn't consider that to be the best or the toughest place that Kansas plays. Obviously, there's some atmospheres out there that are a little bit more difficult. But as I said before, you know, it'll probably be a one or two point underdog for Kansas. They usually fare well in those sort of small underdog type games. So uh, I'm not counting out KU on this one at all. Uh, I definitely think it should just be a great game. I mean, honestly, if you were talking about one or two points here, that's, hey, you kick the ball out of bounds, that's one mistake. Maybe that, you know, that's the sort of thing that is the margin between victory and, and defeat in this sort of one. So should be great, should be national attention, should be national writers, should be national TV audience, all those sorts of things. And, and obviously, not only is the Big 12 at stake, but as you mentioned, uh, potentially the overall number one seed, which uh, could come down to KU and Baylor, I think it actually will. Either way, I think both end up being number one seeds. 
And you, know, you and I had the discussion in the office earlier this week about uh, uh, where where they might be placed. Obviously, first and second round, Kansas will will be will be going to Omaha, the closest first and second round site to to Lawrence. Um, for the regional final, uh, I think that Kansas, even if it's uh, I think Kansas is going to end up in Indianapolis. I think they're going to be yeah. the one in the Midwest and end up in Indianapolis. And Baylor will be the one in the South and end up in Houston uh, for uh, a path to the Final Four, which is in Atlanta this year. I think both of these teams are very Final Four worthy. Would not be surprised to see half of the Final Four made up of Big 12 teams. Yeah, I, I, it's just one of those things. It's March Madness, you know, if, if this was... I'm sure I've know, said that before. I, it's, 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 it's not happening. It was, you know... Series of seven, then I'd love KU's chances <laughs> to make the Final Four. But um, the numbers tell us that, yeah, okay, your first round game, you're 98% to win. The second round game, you're 80% to win. The third round game, you're 70% to win. Your third round, you're, you know, to get to the Final Four, you're 65. And you add all those up, and all of a sudden, even if you're the overall favorite, even if you've had a great season like Kansas, you're about 50 50 make the Final Four. So, um, but these two teams have put themselves in position as well as anybody. And as you mentioned, if you get the kind of the home court advantage, and get playing close to home and get whatever you know favorable crowds and maybe whatever favorable brackets are out there then uh, we'll see what happens but it it is fascinating to kind of look at all those bracketologies and see what might happen and especially Indy uh, if KU didn't make that and the two seed was Dayton Ooh. boy oh boy Ooh. I mean that would be uh, again if, if that if that matchup happened again a rematch of Maui to go to the final four uh, that would be a terrific game and we know for Kansas one of the things that they really struggle to go against is five men who can stretch the floor and uh Dayton happens to have a good one. His name is Obi Toppin. Yeah, so, maybe the uh, player of the year in the country. Yeah, so I, again, just it's too early to look at that, and obviously bracketology is fun to look at, and, and that might not be how it turns out. But for both these teams, I think you're right, Blair. I mean, for resume-wise, Kansas, uh, Joe Lonardi said it last week, I mean, they basically can't play themselves out of a number one seed right now. They would have to lose so many games in a row, uh, but their resume is so strong. They have so many quadrant one wins, and Baylor's the same way. They've, they've accrued a really, really strong resume because they just haven't lost games. They've only lost one game. So uh, both these teams should be one seeds. Both these teams should be favorites to make the Final Four, but it's still a one-and-done tournament, so lots of crazy things happen. Okay, before every game, you um, you put out a, uh, a post uh, prediction and what to look for in the game. Uh, because this is an 11 a.m. game Saturday, is this something that's going to come out later today? Uh, it and, will and come not, out. Because usually morning of the game. Saturday, 5 a.m. Yeah, I've been posting these 11 a.m. games, uh, the 5 a.m. On, on Saturday, just to to get the uh, the people that are Googling for it and making sure that uh, it's out there for people and not an older story. So that'll be ready to go right when people uh, right when people wake up and want to search for it in, in there. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a lot that we've said about this matchup, and obviously, I just think the the two things that kind of separate these teams to me, and and kind of the two factors to watch defensively, how they're different, as we mentioned earlier, which is Baylor forces turnovers, and KU kind of has been up with turnovers, down with turnovers, up with turnovers, down with turnovers, and so if Baylor can create turnovers, create steals, that obviously gives them an edge in that area that they can exploit and get easy buckets on the other end. 
On the offensive end, the biggest way that the two teams are different is that Baylor just crashes the offensive glass. That's a Scott Drew thing. It always has been a Scott Drew thing, and they have not lost that with the lineup that they have now. How can KU get on the boards? How well will they get on the boards? Will they stop those second chance opportunities in a tough spot to play where they won't get as many whistles? I would say those are kind of the two factors to watch in this one, just because that's really what separates these two teams that are uh, on the top of almost every single ranking out there. And if those two things go Baylor's way or go KU's way, that might be the swing in this game. I'll tell you that Mark Vital offensive putback with a slam uh, against Oklahoma sort of ended Amazing. the spirit of the Sooners in that game. So, all right, Jesse, great stuff. Travel safe to Waco, and we will talk to you next week. Sounds good, Blake. That'll do it for another week of Sports Beat KC, the Stars Daily Sports Podcast. Thanks to the crew that put it all together Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Chris Fickett, and Jesse Newell. Hey, where you can do such things, please leave a comment and give us a like. People much smarter than me tell me that helps. We'll be back on Monday with another Sports Beat KC where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.